This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups, and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. We are able to produce milk and milk ingredients without going through the animal. And we are using a technology called precision fermentation to be able to do that. And we are able to program these microbes to ingest sugar and pump up protein, just like how an animal would, but without having to go through the animal. And after that, we have a know-how process of separating the proteins, the target proteins from the output of the microbes. I think from day one, we always position ourselves to be a global startup uh, who happened to have our HQ based in Singapore. Uh, we, needed to be a, we needed to be where the customers are. We needed to be where the talent is. The best thing that, that we ever did was being able to hire this amazing team. One thing we did really right was in the early days, we were very clear that HR and hiring is going to be key to the company. So as our hire number four, we brought in Fiona, um, our chief people officer now. So having Fiona here really helps us to build a very professional image when talking to some of these candidates. Some of these candidates, 30, 40 years of experience on, in the industry. They don't want to just only have the founders to speak with. They know you want to know that there is a professional structure within the company. And Fiona really helps us to help us to build that. For this episode, I've sat down with Feng Lin from Turtle Tree, a four-year-old biotech company producing milk and milk-like ingredients through precision fermentation. Originally thinking about milk itself, they realized the impracticality of that scale and competing on a $2 a gallon market. They identified a high-value milk ingredient, lactoferrin. This year, they are releasing their first product, LF+. Fangru shares about meeting her co-founder, Max, the decision to leave her quote-unquote corporate job, bootstrapping at the beginning, adding American operations to their Singapore operations, and now scaling up production via contract manufacturing. Throughout, Fengru stresses about the importance of building a culture and a company, which they have demonstrated through both their scientific and non-scientific hires. Enjoy the interview. We are here today at One North Stories. Um, this is our first international recording. I'm here, Ruben Bagger in Singapore, and we have with us our guest um, currently in California, Fengru Lin, who's running Turtle Tree which is an international startup with a Singapore, California base. 
Welcome to One North Stories, Fingru. Thanks, thanks. Thanks for having me. Just to get right into it, can you start by introducing yourself, your, your background, and what you're doing out in California right now? Sure. So I'm originally from Singapore. My background was in tech. I used to work with tech companies, Salesforce, Google, uh, for the first part of my career. My co-founder and I, we started Turtle Tree about four years, four and a half years ago. And now we have offices and labs in Singapore, Boston, and California, where I am. So what we're doing is something that is quite special. We are able to produce milk and milk ingredients without going through the animal. And we are using a technology called precision fermentation to be able to do that. Today, the same technology is being used to produce things like insulin, rennet for cheese making, and so on. Most of our R&D today happen in California, where I am. Uh, we're quite near to Davis. And so if you guys are not familiar with the Davis region, it's really the breadbasket of the U.S. UC Davis has a lot of great programs around agriculture, nutrition, food. It also has one of the best milk teams, milk research teams in the world, made up of five different labs. So we're doing a lot of work uh, with UC Davis over here. Okay, great. That explains a lot, um, the, the anchor to the talent where you are. How did you make this change um, from the tech companies to a food tech? I mean, still tech, but very different tech. What was uh, your, your impetus, your, your starting point for this? Yeah, it's quite a fun story. A couple of years ago, I was learning how to make cheese as a hobby. Um, it, was, it was quite fanatic. I went up to Vermont for a couple of weeks to learn how to make cheese. And I wanted to replicate this whole process back in Singapore. But obviously in Singapore, there are no cows, there is no raw fresh milk. So I had to go down to Indonesia to look for raw fresh milk. And in that whole process, I was exposed to a lot of challenges around the agricultural system. There was still a lot of contract, fa contract farming that is happening. A lot of hormones and antibiotics that are being pumped into the cows. And as a result, the milk quality is not as good. I couldn't stretch the mozzarella like I could uh, back in Vermont. Um, there was not enough calcium, not enough nutrients in the milk. Um, so I, I gave up that whole cheese idea. And uh, back then, I was still working for Google. And in my office in Singapore, that was when I met my co-founder. He just exited his company. And uh, he was in my office talking about different transformative technologies on stage. And some of the technologies that he spoke about were about companies like Memphis Meats, now called Outside Foods, as well as Blue Nalu, who are using cells to make meat and seafood without the animal. That, that really blew my mind. That was in 2018. Um, and we started talking about using similar methods to make milk. Um, so that's, that's where we started. Um, since then, we, we have about 39 scientists, PhDs across these three locations. But when we first started, uh, we had to bootstrap quite a bit. We had to do a lot of our own research. And it wasn't until we filed our first patents before uh, I left my job and started the company. Okay, so 2018 to 2019. So you, you have this idea in Singapore. Were you already kind of looking at at being US-based as well? Or this was, was like Max was, was in Singapore, you were in Singapore and kind of tried to do it in Singapore first? Yeah, we definitely started in Singapore. We are a uh, Singapore-started homegrown company. Uh, very proud of that. And um, 
we started our first labs here. We did our first uh, research. But um, I think over time, when we had this amazing idea, we wanted to produce full milk because uh, milk has 2,000 different ingredients. It's a very complex fluid. A lot of people don't think about it. But we had this technology, we had this idea, and we started talking to potential customers. So these are folks like Abbott. These are people like Ontera. We told them, we could make milk. What do you think about this idea? But quickly, they, they told us, well, milk is $2 a gallon. You're not going to be able to get to price point with biotech anytime soon. You need to be focused on the high value ingredients that are found in milk. And here's a list. Here's a list of half a dozen of them. At the top of the list is a bioactive milk protein called lactoferrin. And starting with that protein, we worked backwards on the technologies that we needed to, to use to be able to produce a lactoferrin in a consistent manner. And that's where we landed around the Davis region, where there is a lot of experts, a lot of great talent who's able to help us to use precision fermentation to get there. Okay, so you kind of reverse engineered what you needed and then went to find the talent. So exactly. does Max have, have a food background, a food tech background, or he's just uh, an entrepreneur? I, I shouldn't say just an entrepreneur, but an entrepreneur looking for opportunities. Yeah, no, he's just an entrepreneur. Both of us have a, have a strong business background. And I think this is what makes us a little bit different than other scientific-led startups. We start with the customer. We start with what's needed on the market and then build a team and build a business around it. Okay. So you, you, were, you and Max were bootstrapping, like you said, you, you were still kind of, you know, had, had your full-time job, full-time corporate job. When did you know that, that it was time to, to leave and, and go into this full-time? Yeah, initially we had a bootstrap to hire some of our first scientists, did a lot of early research. And when we filed our first patents, um, that was when I felt confident enough to leave my company. Okay. Did you have investors at the time or, or still bootstrapping, but you kind of could see this explosion in, in the company and in the tech? Yeah, it's, it's more, more the latter. Um, investors want to invest in, in founders who are fully committed to, to this idea. So we, I had to leave the job and I was, I was pretty confident that it was a lot of door after doors that opened that helped me build the confidence over time. And it was definitely not an overnight thing. Um, it was talking to the potential customers, talking to potential investors, having the confidence from the, the, the scientists. When we presented the idea to a lot of scientists, what was shocking was nobody said it was crazy. Nobody said it was not doable. Most of them said, yes, it's, it's actually doable. Or I thought of it. I just never executed okay. on it. So help us build confidence. Okay. So this confidence building stage, was this all in Singapore? Or were you kind of based in Singapore, but then reaching out to experts across the globe? Based in Singapore and reaching out to expert, uh, experts globally. And um, today we, we have LinkedIn. Uh, we have so much resources on our fingertips. We are also very thankful for some of the early advisors that we have, uh, like Sweet Farm. Uh, they were our first angel investors. Uh, they really opened up their network of other folks in the food space. Um, to to guide us along the early days. Okay, great. So then, still in Singapore, and but you need to go where the talent is because this is something you and Max don't have the, have the deep scientific background in. Was it a hard decision to to go to UC Davis, or was it just like this is what we need to do? No other way. Let's let's 
be a multinational startup more or less right away? I think from day one, we always position ourselves to be a global startup uh, who happened to have our HQ based in Singapore. Uh, we needed to be a we needed to be where the customers are. We needed to be where the talent is. Um, so we were very cognizant of it from day one. I think uh, how we landed up in UC Davis is really uh, from the research that we've done around milk and milk ingredients. We saw this as um, probably one of the most deep researched places in the world around milk. And that's where, why we landed up here. It also helps that uh, Max was a UC Davis um, alumni. Uh, okay. Um, he studied computer science. Yeah. Is he from the California area or just kind of went there and then kind of left as well? No, he's from California. Okay. So could you give us a bit of comparative contrast? Okay, so UC Davis is not Silicon Valley, um, but relatively close. And I assume you're also then tapped into that that whole network, especially when you, you needed to raise your funds, which you've successfully done over the last year and a half or so. Um, how's, how's that kind of ecosystem um, venture system compared to compared to what, what you experienced in Singapore before you went over there? I think um, most of our investors are global investors. Um, leading our our Series A fundraise uh, round was Verso out of Switzerland and Dubai. Um, and we have investors from Hong Kong, Green Monday Ventures. Uh, we have investors uh, from the US. So I don't think it's a matter of bringing the US or being in Singapore to fundraise. I think it's more of where you are building the business, where you are accessing your talent um, and where you are, you are accessing the, the market. Okay, thanks. So then the US market's huge. Is that is that your first go-to market or US and Singapore? US and Singapore. Uh, we are in the process of uh, going through regulatory uh, for both markets and uh, we're aiming to commercialize uh, office products by Q4 this year. Maybe we can go to your your actual product um, and, and technology that that you're um, building. At its core, Turtle Tree is a is a biotech um, food company. Um, you have your precision fermentation, um, and your first product is the lactoferrin. So, what would you consider is, is your core technology? Is it the precision fermentation, or is it kind of the the know how of of making the lactoferrin and then potentially other other high value proteins in the future? That's a great question. Um, so for us, we have a platform um, of different microbes. Um, so these are microbes like yeast or fungi. And we are able to program these microbes to ingest sugar and pump up protein, just like how an animal would, but without having to go through the animal. And after that, we have a know-how process of separating the proteins, the target proteins, from the output of the microbes. Um, and this whole process um, is part of our know-how, is part of um, our IP. Uh, but uh, this platform, as you rightly mentioned, allows us to also be able to produce other proteins when we engineer the, the, the microbes with the DNA of um, a, a different protein, for example, um, a whey or a casein um, instead of a lactoferrin. Okay. So this, this, this platform, you, you have it in-house now. Um, is it something you kind of fully developed or kind of licensed in from, from uh, maybe UC Davis or somewhere else and then continue to develop in-house? So it's more the latter. Um, we, we have licensed in a, a few pieces of technologies 
But uh, in-house, we have also built a lot of IP um, and built upon that, that basic platform. I think um, the tools that we have been able to use to um, engineer the, the, the microbes uh, are something that uh, we, have, we have developed over time. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about, about engineering these microbes or programming them? Is this kind of like a, a guess and test type thing? Or do you have like a very systematic process? Or maybe it's matured over, over the last several years. Yeah, with these days, a lot of it is it's it's pretty mature, and it's a lot of it's it's a lot of data crunching and being able to engineer the microbes in a without having a spray and pray kind of kind of methodology. So what what we're able to do is um, the scientists can take a genetic sequence from another organism, like say a cow, in our in our example. And then they will stitch it to the microbes' DNA. If the newly genetic information codes for creating lactoferrin, now the microbe will have the instructions on how to make this milk protein as well. So the beauty of this is that it enables the microbes to produce things traditionally made by other organisms, say a cow. And strain engineering can also optimize microbial production for certain conditions, like a specific pH or carbon source as input. So this affects um, our sustainability um, efforts. And yeah, I think in detail, we have um, explained a lot more um, in our recent blog post. Okay. So you can go to our website. Thanks. This it sounds very, very precise at, at, at the end. Like, like you said, it's, it's something that's, that's well-developed by your team building on the platform of others. What does it take then to go from doing this at, at a very small scale in the lab, figuring it out, to then actually like going into production now and then having quantities where you can sell i mean so so first i guess what type of quantities mm -hmm. do you need you know when you're going to market and then how do you how do you scale up from this the really cool idea but then i assume small quantities milliliters or even smaller to, to what you actually need to to sell on the market yeah this is such a complex question to to answer i think um let's start with uh, the scientific part of things and then we can go on to the commercial um, and, and financial projections angle. Okay. So on the scientific side, a lot of things can happen on a Petri dish. A lot of things can happen in a lab scale. But for it to be commercialized requires so much effort. I think, first of all, the, the microbes that we, are, we have chosen, uh, the yeast of fungi that we've chosen, have already demonstrated food production uh, for, for other ingredients at scale. So we're not we're not taking a, a primary yeast um, and trying to engineer from scratch. Um, it is something that has already shown success. So we we take that, which means that a lot of the protein production would be a lot purer because there is less other proteins or other peptides or other noise that is produced by this whole process. And after that, there is a very specific downstream process. Um, that, that we have to define ourselves. As I mentioned just now, a lot of that would be our know-how on how we centrifuge, how we purify to, to extract the protein. The higher the purity, the better it is um, and easier it is to, to input into other food products. So these are the kind of processes we are working with and understanding also from our customers what, what kind of stability, what kind of shelf life they need from this protein. So this is the engineering part of it. Currently, we are 
working with contract manufacturers. We're not producing by ourselves. And we continue to we continue doing that for the next two to three years because um, luckily for us, our protein is a very expensive protein. I'll give an example. Lactoferrin trades on the market at $1,000 per kg. And you compare that with whey, which costs a couple of maybe $3 per kg. Casein costs about $13 to $16 per kg. And precision fermentation on average for every kg of product to be produced costs a couple of hundred dollars. So you're never going to be able to get to gross profit margin positivity if your product is so cheap to begin with. You mentioned $100 and up to, to produce via precision fermentation. Is that the cost that you pay your contract manufacturer or that's what they have to invest to, to get the product done? It's the cost that we have to pay our contract manufacturers, a couple of hundred dollars uh, per kg. Okay, and these contract manufacturers, do they need to modify their equipment much or is it kind of inputting the ingredients that, that, that you give them and then, and then it ferments kind of already in their clean facility? That's a great question. So when it comes to the production, uh, there are kind of two big segments, big sections. First is the upstream process. That is the fermentation process. And the fermentation process is pretty standard, uh, moving from smaller tank sizes to the large industrial scale, 190,000 liter scale tanks. And that's pretty standard. Now, what's different for every protein is really the downstream process where we try to purify the protein out of the broth because every protein would have different sizes. They would have um, different functions, different sensitivities to pH and so on. So they would have little nuances that are different from each other. So when we do work with contract manufacturers, we also need to invest a certain amount of capex to build a downstream process line in this contract manufacturer's facilities to help produce uh, our target protein. Okay. Um, that makes sense. So ultimately then it's kind of your designed equipment um, in their facility. How's that work? Let's say from a, from an IP or a licensing perspective, is that kind of like you own a room in their facility or they kind of have full ownership of the process that, that you kind of license into them to produce? So they are not really licensing from us. We own, we, we would. We would book out the entire line from these contract manufacturers for a limited amount of time, say two years, three years. And that line is uh, dedicated to us to produce our ingredient. We don't have to license everything, but these are quite reputable contract manufacturers. They have manufactured for big food companies as well as pharma companies. Um, so we, can, uh, we, have, we have documentation and, and uh, agreements in place to protect the, the IP that we have. But by and large, uh, they're, they're just contract manufacturing okay. for us. Um, so on this downstream process, would you always have like Turtle Tree employees there or kind of once it's set up, that it flows into your into your product stream? Yeah, we, we will have probably one or two employees on site all the time um, just to overlook uh, the entire uh, process. Are, are you able to share? Um, is this happening in California or Massachusetts or somewhere else? I'm not able to share exactly where, uh, but we have a couple of contract manufacturers, some in North America and some in Europe. You mentioned Europe as well. So I assume you're, you're looking to enter the European market quite soon also. 
not not entirely soon. We are they they are just really good contract manufacturers, and they would ship the product to the US, um, and we'll make sure that their facilities are FDA compliant. Okay, you mentioned um, fourth quarter this year to to release your product. Have you cleared all all the regulatory hurdles? So we are in the process of our self grass. Uh, that would be the first thing that we are we're gonna achieve. And um, six months, nine months following that, uh, we are we are expecting the FDA letter of no objection. You have you have your your lactoferrin. Who are you selling this to? You probably don't don't want to tell us specifics until kind of all that's done. But like kind of what types of companies are going to be your your first customers for this? Maybe I'll introduce lactoferrin a little bit. Lactoferrin is a bioactive protein that is found in milk. It has a lot of great functional benefits around immunity, gut health, um, iron regulation, which means uh, you're able to absorb iron a lot better. So it helps with mental equity, helps with muscle recovery. Lactoferrin currently is in very small amounts. In milk, there's only 0.1 gram of lactoferrin in a whole liter of milk. So the dosage is pretty small. To, to be able to um, attain those those benefits, we are targeting initially the adult applications, um, things like sports nutrition, women health, multivitamins. Um, these are and plant based milks, right? Yeah, plant based milks are an interesting one because if you think about it, lactoferrin is such a super nutrient, but we're just not being able to access through plant-based methods or non-animal-based methods because the only way to get lactoferrin is through cow milk or, or milk. Um, so now that we're able to produce it without the animal, uh, we will be able to reintroduce it to a, a plant-based milk or plant-based beverage um, so more people can access it. So this is the early win. And in parallel, we are also working through infant nutrition regulations. That would take probably an extra two to two, two, two and a half years. Uh, to get it approved. Okay, so first adults, like you said, supplements, and then um, infant nutrition. And you, you also mentioned it's ridiculously expensive compared to other proteins. Would you see a future where this kind of, I'll say, trickles down into into mainstream foods as well, where we're food producers, again, we'll, we'll put small quantities into, let's say, more more regular products? Yeah, absolutely. We, we're hoping to have it in all kinds of food products from your yogurts uh, to drinks, immunity shots. We, we want to try to continue to drive the cost down as we scale up production, um, scale down the cost of production and the raw materials. I think that's when we can introduce lactoferrin to more food products and make it really accessible. Okay, great. So that's uh, the pipeline for, for lactoferrin. You've got Infinity X um, scaling potential here, um, especially like you said, as you, as you drive down the cost and try to go from from nutritional supplement, infant infant nutrition, then to everyday nutrition. Beyond lactoferrin, do you have a have a pipeline of of products that that you plan to make with precision fermentation? For the immediate future, this is uh, what we're laser focused on. But on the R and D side, we do have a pipeline of uh, maybe half a dozen other proteins that we, we want to be able to work on as well. Uh, by commercializing lactoferrin, bovine lactoferrin uh, is, is what we're focused on, at least for the next uh, one to two years. 
Okay. So you mentioned like RD, you're, you're targeting a small number of other proteins. Is that solely in-house or are you working with, with people around the UC Davis or in Singapore or Boston? It's a blend of both. If you look at our organizational structure, on the scientific side, on the R&D internal innovation side is led by Dr. Aleta Schnitzler. <clears throat> so she drives a lot of the internal innovation, our teams, she has 15 years of experience at Merck KGAA, um, Millipore Sigma. And prior to joining Turtle Tree, she was leading Merck's um, alternative protein division. And partnering up with her is uh, Dr. Xiao Wang. Dr. Xiao, also from Merck KGAA, 28 years of experience. And he is a tech scout. He does a lot of external innovation, looking at technologies that can plug into the Turtle Tree ecosystem to to accelerate our R&D. Um, so hand in hand, um, they, they are what make up our scientific powers. Okay. And then ultimately they're scouting and trying to partner, I guess, in, worldwide? Worldwide, yeah. A quick question to tangent there. We've talked about you guys scaling up your production and talked about the R&D. Are you able to share now, especially that you're going to market, how is the makeup of your company kind of going from, let's say, a, a food tech to now also like a food producer as, as well. Can you talk a little bit about growing the, the part of the company that's really required to go to market? Sure. I think when, when you're Turtle Tree, Max and I were pretty clear that we want to focus on Turtle Tree being a, a very R&D focused company. Uh, we want to be a biotech company. So I think um, innovation is going to be the core of our business. Most of our employees, most of our team um, are part of the scientific team um, helping to build, develop, and scale the products. Uh, when it comes to commercialization, now we are building a, a small team to, to commercialize um, the, the lactoferrin, but uh, we, we don't have to do it by ourselves. I think uh, there's a lot of partners, a lot of different layers uh, in the food system um, who can support us and grow with us to help put this ingredient in, in, in the many food products out there. Okay. So when you talk about partners, again, to, to get your product out there, can you maybe share a little bit, like what, what types of key partners are we talking consultants or then consultants so plus food companies and kind of everything in between what it actually takes to get your RD then and pilot production into the food ecosystem? Sure. There are many layers in the food system. It's, it's a really complex um, system today. It's, it's such a well-oiled machine. There are so many layers to the food system. I think um, the ones that we're familiar with, the, the, the ones that we have multiple touch points every day with um, are obviously the, the food brands, the CPG food companies. Um, those are some companies we're talking to. Others are ingredient providers, flavor providers, uh, product development companies. Um, I think a lot of brands where they want to a new product or launch a new uh, food segment, you might go to a product development company and say, hey, I want to build a new, I want to produce a new plant-based milk. And they would come up with the product formulation and they would already have uh, a list of different better for you ingredients they would like to introduce to this customer. So those are uh, another layer. Um, another one is um, even the food packaging companies, uh, the Tetra Packs of the world, um, they're very keen on identifying new trends and making sure that um, new ingredients like like ours um, are readily 
um, accessible through a Tetra product um, so they can offer more to their customers. Okay, so right right now, Turtle Tree, you're, you're very much in, in a scale-up, ship-at-scale phase. Like you said, the, the next two years, laser-focused on, on getting Lactoferrin to market and then in market in quantity. You, you're building your, your pipeline of um, proteins behind that. Where do you see Turtle Tree in, let's say, three years and then 10 years from now? In three years, I hope to see Turtle Tree um, having our, our lactoferrin in, in many food products out there. I hope to be able to make it accessible to most food products. And in 10 years, wow, I, I really hope that we can bring the company to the next level. Not just lactoferrin, but the different technologies, the different engineering uh, components to uh, producing food at scale um, in a sustainable manner. I hope to have many touch points in most food products in the world out there. If you look at our logo, it looks like the cross section of a tree. It also looks like a thumbprint. So it symbolizes man's print on nature. And uh, we hope to see this logo in most food products out there, symbolizing, symbolizing how the food is made and how it's better for human health and the environment. <laughs> okay, great. So you're, you're now... Um... Four plus years in, into your founding story, from the idea, quitting your corporate job to, to dive into this, what would you say is, is going well? And then what do you wish um, you, you could have done better? I think what's the best thing that, that we ever did was being able to hire this amazing team. I think uh, if you look at our roster, we probably have the best team in the world um, across science, across brand across legal we are we're just such a powerhouse of experts everyone is is firing at all cylinders what i wish uh, we did better i'll share a story and i think uh it, it might be a fun story for for everyone so in the early days um there is this west sec facility that uh we are <laughs> we're trying to build up here here near sacramento uh, it's a 24,000 square feet facility. So in the early days, um, we, we asked the entire team, the engineers, the scientists, if you're going to build out this 24,000 square feet facility, how would you design it? What equipment you need? do you need? What do you think, what do you hope to achieve from this facility? So everyone came together, put together this elaborate plan, and the budget came up to $66 million. <laughs> Yep. So I learned then true creativity or true freedom comes from guardrails. So I, yeah, we, we need to give the team certain guardrails. Okay. The budget is 10 million, 12 million, whatever. Um, so people can work within it. And that's where they start being creative. And that's how they really distill what's important and prioritize. That's a great story. We all have our dreams and, and fantasies and. But yeah, like you said, you, you have constraints um, and, and knowing those guardrails then brings up even, even more creativity from, from your team. So just want to follow up quickly. I mean, you, you talked about your, you know, having, having the, the awesome team and you know, especially you, you mentioned earlier, um, your, your R and D team and the, the deep experience that, that they have prior to joining you. How did you convince such great talent to, to join you in this startup journey? How, how do you convince them? Is it just, you know, sheer um, sales pitch or? Yeah, I think a lot of folks, they want to work for a vision. 
So the, the vision and the storytelling is, is really important. My, my co-founder, Max, um, he's really good with articulating that, articulating the vision and, and doing the storytelling. But above what we are doing, I think what, one thing we did really right was in the early days, we were very clear that HR and hiring is going to be key to the company. So as our hire number four, we brought in Fiona, um, our chief people officer now, but we brought her in as a HRBP. And she is really the one who's able to understand what, how, what, what drives each individual, what motivates them. And when she speak to these candidates, a lot of them give feedback that it sounds like a, a coaching session uh, because she really wants to help build their career. Even if they, they don't join Turtle Tree, she really wants to understand what motivates them and try to give them the right guidance. So having Fiona here really helps us to build a very professional image when talking to some of these candidates. Some of these candidates, 30, 40 years of experience on, in the industry, they don't want to just only have the founders to speak with. They know you want to know that there is a professional structure within the company, and Fiona really helps us to help us to build that. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah, having a structure for people to feel confident to go in. What lessons would you tell yourself five years ago as, as you were contemplating this journey? Um, or what would you tell potential founders out there who, who find themselves in, in similar shoes to you? Have, have dreams. Um, you have, have this hobby of, of cheese that, that you're fed up with, but what you can find and kind of looking for alternatives. Yeah, I think one thing is key. that's key is really if you have an idea. Uh, my, my co-founder Max does it really, really well. When you have an idea, start executing on it. Start humoring it. Bounce it off of people, experts. Reach out to folks on LinkedIn, to your network. People, you'll be surprised. People are happy to chat. People are, people are open to exploring. And that's how we started our journey. That's how we started learning about the industry. I think uh, these two industries, both food and biotech, it's, it's, it's new to us. Um, but it's definitely something that we were very open and as business folks, we're able to connect the dots when talking to different folks and that's our strengths. So yeah, I would advise new founders to don't be shy, chat with as many people as you can, bounce off this idea. You'll be surprised at how the idea will be better refined with every conversation that you have. And I, I do spend a couple of hours every Saturday talking to new founders. So you guys can always uh, reach out to me. I'm happy to to ideate. I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, that's good advice. Just start executing the idea, figuring out what it would actually take to to build a company um, around that. Is there anything else that that you want to specifically mention or, or plug that that we didn't cover today? Yeah, I think I want to speak a little bit about fundraising today in today's uh, market conditions. I think. Um, Today is not like back in 2021, where fundraising is a lot easier. And a lot of investors want to make sure that when they invest, they want to invest in a company that has the potential to, to generate revenue and quickly profits. I think a lot of startups or businesses in the food space, unfortunately, we are in a space where it's a commodity heavy market. So it's always going to be a a price, a price challenge that we have to overcome. So I think for new founders or for new startups, identifying that first product, 
that has the potential for you to reach price parity or profitability is going to be key. So thinking through that business model is, is really what we need to critically think through before we, we get into any of the ideas. Just curious, you, you've done your fundraising. Like you said, it's, the situation is on the ground is very different now than, than two years ago. Um, so is this something that you kind of skipped at, at Turtle Tree or kind of closed your funding before this kind of new reality to hit the market or very pertinent to, to what you experienced? I think as a startup, we're always fundraising. Um, it's always good to, it's always great if we have more funds so that we can accelerate um, our growth. But we are, we're very thankful that we closed our Series A um, in 2021. Um, so we're pretty good for now. Uh, but as I mentioned, we're always fundraising. Do you talk about, I don't, I don't want to say austerity, but being a little bit more prudent with your funds, um, given what's happened in, in the last 18 months with potential future fundraising? Yeah, for sure. We, I think we have always been very careful about how we spend. We, we are very cognizant that we're not going to be spending large amounts of money on any CapEx um, investments, CapEx-heavy activities. Um, and our, our team has remained pretty lean, um, 40, just under 40 folks so far. Um, so we've been pretty prudent from day one. But I think moving forward, um, we are also very careful about how we spend um, in terms of um, different innovation projects. One other question that, that, that kind of slipped in my mind. I mean, so we, we talked, we mentioned at the beginning, and you're, you're founded in Singapore, but now it's straddling Singapore and, and the US. How, how is that for you as, as a co-founder? I mean, how do you choose to split your time? Maybe some advice to you know co-founders in Singapore who are looking to go international, um, not just with sales, but international with yeah significant operations. Yeah, so there's two co-founders here. Max, um, he he spends a lot of time in Singapore now, and I spend a lot of time in the US. We do a bit of switcheroo every few months, um, so it's it's worked well for us. Um, our chief scientist is based in Boston, so we do have a strong leadership team in each of these three locations. You're reachable on LinkedIn and your website, Turtle Tree. That, that's the best way for people to connect with you and, and learn more specifically about yourself as a co-founder, as well as Turtle Tree and what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to launch a new website in a couple of weeks. Um, so there's going to be even more information you can find on our website, turtletree.com. But for more information about the technology, the product, the team, um, you can totally find out for, um, we, we write a lot of blog posts as well. Our brand team want to make sure that um, we are building a community of people who want to find out um, and, and eat better. So yeah, do do follow us there. Thanks. Thanks so much for your time today. We, we look forward to, to your continued success and, and product launch soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ruben. And with that, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, Please help to grow the show by sharing with a friend or colleague. Please also hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in Singapore together.